Wow, thank you, worship team. If you missed it last night, they, uh, we just had a worship night last night where they came and played for an hour, a little over an hour or so, and uh, wow, it was just a great, whew, great time. That was, that was good this morning. Wow, I, that was good. I came last night thinking, I've got, got to preach tomorrow, so I've got to save my voice. I'm just going to sit back and just sing a little bit, and man, they started playing and pff, sang my guts out for an hour and a half or whatever it was, and so it was, it was a great time. I hope you'll come to the next one. It's going to be sometime in the fall before Christmas. Well, as most of you know, school has started. It's started uh, most everywhere in the country, I think. Uh, I, I heard a story this week about a, uh, a young lady named Janie who started first grade in Oakland, California. And uh, she went into her first grade class, and, and uh, the teacher and her, were, you know, the students were kind of getting to know each other. And the teacher, uh, she said, now I'm an Oakland Raiders fan. How many of you kids are Oakland Raiders fans? And, of course, every kid raised her hand except little Janie. And she said, well, Janie, if you're not an Oakland Raiders fan, who are you a fan of? She said, well, I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. And she said, oh, Janie, that's, that's too bad. She said, now, how in the world did you become a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs? She said, well, my mommy is a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, and my daddy's a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, so I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. She said, well, Janie, you can't do everything that your parents do. You know, what if, what if your dad was an idiot? And your mom was a moron. What would that make you? She said, an Oakland Raiders fan. <laughs> now, if you're here and you're an Oakland Raiders fan, I'm sorry about that. We'll pray for you. And uh, I'm getting excited about uh, football coming up. But I heard that this week, and I thought you might enjoy that. Hey, listen, we've been in the book of Acts for uh, almost our whole year this year. Uh, we've, we've seen how uh, the gospel has spread uh, uh, really throughout, first of all, Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. And now we're... Uh, almost all the way through the first missionary uh, journey of Paul, and Barnabas is with him on this uh, journey. He's got two more journeys to go, and, and I hope as you uh, see these, um, these cities and what happens here play out, I hope that you are gaining more than just, uh, they went into a city, they preached, some people believed, some people didn't, and they moved on. I hope you're getting more out of it than that. I think there's some really uh, great things for us to learn, great things out of church history for us to see here that apply to us today. And so today we're going to talk about how the gospel comes to a city called Iconium. Uh, Now, if you remember uh, last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas and the guys that were with them were kind of pushed out of the city where they were at. They were in Antioch uh, in Pisidia, not the Antioch they started from. In fact, let me just show you the map again kind of let you know where they started and where they're at. You know, they started over here in Antioch of Syria, and they came down here through the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas is a, uh, is, was born there. And they went through Perga and through Antioch of Pisidia last week, and now they're in the city of Iconium. Now, they're going to go to two more cities, and then I think it's interesting, if you see the uh, arrows, they basically turn around and go back. Uh, so today we're going to see that in seven verses... It records all of the history of them spending a long time in Iconium. Uh, you wouldn't think in seven verses there's that much to see, but there really is. And so we're going to take a look at that, and then we'll see that uh, uh, next week they're actually going to finish their journey and then go back through all these cities. We'll see why they do that uh, next week. But let's start, let's uh, read uh, chapter 14 of Acts, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll come back and kind of take it apart a little bit. Here we go. Verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And so we see here uh, some principles that I want us to grasp from these passages. The first one is this. Paul and Barnabas continued to offer the gospel first to the Jews. First to the Jews. I also want you to see, and these are both in verse 1, so we're going to take a look at both of them together. Many Jews and Gentiles believed. Let's look back at verse 1. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and and Greeks believed. Now we see here that Paul and Barnabas went first uh, to the Jews. They went into the synagogue. They knew they would get a hearing there. They knew that they would uh, have an opportunity to speak there. But if I were them, this is kind of the last place I would go. I mean, think about it. Uh, they continue to offer the gospel here first, but, but in the past, uh, the Jews persecuted Jesus uh, they persecuted the disciples in Jerusalem, which is why they all spread out. They just did persecute them in Antioch, to where they had to leave town. They were kind of down on a rail. And, and now, they go to the first place, to the Jews. And I think that's pretty profound. Now, you, you might look at that and go, so big deal. What's the big deal? So, it, just in the humanness of myself, if I were planning a strategy... If I would see that others got beat up by a certain group of people, and we had been kind of persecuted by a certain group of people, that would probably be the last group of people that I would go to. But they didn't do that. They went to them first. Why did they do that? Well, first of all, I think theologically, you know, it was clear that, that Jesus came as a, as a savior to the Jews. He was, he was born of the lineage of, of David and Abraham, and he came to, to save the world, but first to the Jews, and they rejected him. And so now the gospel is spreading throughout the Gentile world. So they did it theologically, but I think they did it for another reason. And that's because these were their people. They loved them. They loved them. They wanted them to hear the gospel. Uh, they wanted them to see uh, that Jesus was the Savior. They wanted them to follow him. Whatever the reason, it's interesting that the persecution they had experienced did not thwart them they continued to go to the Jews to share salvation with them. Now, we're going to talk about this later, but I want us to think about something. I want us to think about the fact that, uh, you know, they didn't have any prejudice against a group of people that they had had experience being persecuted by. I think we all have some prejudices that we may have in certain ways. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But I want us to be thinking about that. Do we still share the gospel with those folks? We also see in this passage that many Jews and Gentiles believed. It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, just Gentiles, just Jews, but, but some of both parts, both groups were believing in Jesus. They were deciding to give their lives to Christ and, and accept uh, the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus came to pay for our sins. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was dead. He was buried. He rose in three days. And they were putting their faith and trust in that. They were becoming believers in Jesus. And what's interesting is these two groups 
we're now becoming one group, if you think about it. There was a big division between the Jews and the Gentiles, but as they believed Jesus, they were all coming into one group of those who were following Christ. And so we see here that they were being quite uh, successful. At least some were coming to Christ. Now what if they are, they're prejudiced? What if their fear, even, of the Jews of being persecuted again, what if that kept them from talking to them about Jesus? Those Jews who became believers may not have been. They may have never heard. And so I think it's a good lesson for us. It's a very good thing that they did not prejudice themselves, even based on their own true experience, to not share the gospel with those who might persecute them. Now, you don't have to be a great prophet to know what happened next. Persecution was stirred up. Here it comes. Here it comes. Verse 2, it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. I want you to see in this passage, in fact, let me go back to it here for just a second. I want to keep it up on the screen for a minute. I want you to see that persecution did not raise up. In other words, people weren't hearing the gospel and individually coming to a decision uh, to go, you know what, we should, just, we should pound these guys. We hate this thing they're talking about. We should, we should beat them up. They weren't coming to that uh, notion on their own. They weren't, it, persecution wasn't raising up in people. This clearly says that it was stirred up by others. Stirred up by others. The Jews the unbelieving Jews, not wanting to do their own dirty work, started stirring up the Gentiles against the disciples. Now, have you ever known a person that you would say, man, this person just loves to stir it up? In fact, they love to stir it up and then maybe step back and kind of watch. You ever know anybody like that? Maybe somebody at your work or somebody in your neighborhood? They'll gossip about others. They'll, they'll say things that maybe are partially true or kind of half true or maybe not true at all. And hey, did you see what those guys did? Hey, you know, uh, those guys are talking about Jesus and your kids are following them and they're not going to follow you anymore. You, you ought to do something about that. And then they stand back and watch. You ever know people like that? That's what these Jews were doing. The Jews who were not becoming believers, those who were not believing in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, being the Savior of the world, they were beginning to gossip and talk bad uh, not to Paul and Barnabas, but about Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. They were stirring up persecution. We see after this, and, and, and think about this for just a minute before we go on. Okay, so uh, Paul and Barnabas are pretty smart men, very learned, quite educated, really brilliant, in fact. Uh, besides just their formal education, these were just smart guys. So we see a pattern. We go into a city, uh, we share the gospel, some believe, some turn against us, and they want to they persecute us. Pretty common thing happening here. So what was their strategy? What did they do when persecution began to be stirred up, when it all got going, and, and they realized that people were starting to come against them? What did they do? They stayed and discipled for a long time. I think that's, that's crazy. It's godly, but it's crazy. I mean, I would have never suspected this. Look what it says. 
in verse 3. So they remained so. So in spite of all the persecution being stirred up around him, so what did they do? They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now I wish Luke would have actually said, here's how long they stayed. But perhaps uh, that would not be good for us in the sense that if it was six months, we'd all think, well, we can be discipled in six months and move on or whatever. And of course, the word discipled is really not in here. Uh, But what we see happening is uh, Paul and Barnabas stayed and they continued to preach to these folks. They continued to teach them about Jesus. Uh, They continued uh, to minister to them. And they continued to actually do uh, uh, works and signs and great things. And if you see why, they were granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God was granting that. Why? To bear witness to the word of his grace. We've talked about this before, folks, but listen. If you want to know God's word, go to the Christian bookstore and buy it. It's, It's available to us. At this point in time when these things were happening, the New Testament wasn't available. Paul hadn't written Uh, the two-thirds that he writes. We don't know exactly what date this is, but it's well uh, before um, most of the the, uh, Gospels are written. And so uh, to to really give credence to the things they were preaching and teaching, God was granting them the ability to do signs and wonders. It was validating their message. And they stayed for a long time, teaching them, investing in them, growing them. They remembered what Jesus had said in the, in the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make followers who are fully developed and fully, fully following me in every area of life, and they're actually reproducing into other disciples. That's what you need to go and make, and so they knew it would take a long time. And so in spite of the persecution, they stayed and they discipled the people in Iconium for a long time. Now, as they continued to do this, the whole city became divided by the gospel. Look in verse 4. It says, But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. Now, I don't know if every single person was involved in this, but the, the, the implication in this verse was that the entire city was gravitating towards one of two positions. It, 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 was, it was moving. There wasn't many people in the middle. There were either those who were believing uh, what was being taught about Jesus and they were giving their lives to Christ, or they were being stirred up to become persecutors. The city was really becoming uh, divided, clearly one of two worlds. Now, what about the gospel bringing world peace? I mean, isn't that the dream of every pageant queen? Right? What do, what do you want? World peace. Wasn't Jesus to come and, and bring world peace? Why, why is this dividing the city? Shouldn't this bring us all together so that we, we stand in a big circle and we hold hands and we sing kumbaya and we stare at the sky and we just enjoy being together, the whole city? Well, probably not. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? Jesus hasn't come to bring us all peace? Well, he has come to bring us individual peace. 
He has come to bring us peace with God. He has come to bring us peace with one another, those of us who have given our lives to him. But he has not come to bring world peace because he won't force everybody to follow him. In fact, as we continue to read and we continue to see what happens in the next two missionary journeys, what we see is in the book of Acts is is that God's kingdom and the world are constantly, constantly butting heads. They were constantly in conflict with one another. Now, I have a question. We don't seem to be that much in conflict anymore. Perhaps, perhaps it's because the world has moved closer to the church. The world has become more godly. They have become more righteous. And they have become more of what God really intends for all of us. Perhaps that's what's happened. Perhaps not. Is it possible? Is it possible that the reason the church and the world, at least in our culture, by the way, when you look at other cultures, they're still doing this, But in our culture, we kind of get along pretty well. I wonder if it might be because, not because the world has moved closer to us, but perhaps we've moved closer to them. Perhaps we have learned how to justify our sinful behavior. Perhaps we have learned to accept uh, worldliness as part of our lives and part of our church culture. I just am asking the question. Something to think about. Something to think about. But certainly we see in this passage that the city, the whole city was divided by the gospel. Uh, By the way, uh, one thing I do want to point out in this passage, uh, because it uses the word apostles for both Barnabas and Paul. And I know probably some of you who have been here every week of the book of Acts, we've talked about apostles and apostleship. And we saw that there were 12 original apostles. Judas went out and uh, got rid of himself, hung himself. And uh, he was replaced. Uh, and then also, uh, Paul is added as, a, as an apostle to the Gentiles, which he'll talk about uh, more in Romans and more in Corinthians. Uh, so there's 13 apostles. Why is Barnabas called an apostle here? Well, if you think about it this way, uh, the word apostolos can be uh, uh, translated as either messenger or apostle. So if you think about the word apostle being capital A apostle for the, the actual Uh, position of an apostle in the local church, or little a, which actually can be translated as messenger. Just like the word deacon can be translated as servant, uh, the word uh, 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 here, the word here for apostle can be translated as uh, just someone who is a messenger. If you notice in the passage, it doesn't say they were apostles of Jesus Christ. Usually when it talks about the 13 apostles, it talks about an apostle of Jesus Christ, messengers from Jesus Christ. Here, these were clearly messengers, but Luke was referring to them as being messengers, uh, not from Jesus Christ in a sense, but from the church at Antioch. The church they were sent from, they were messengers. Certainly at this point in history, Luke would have never used the capital A apostleship for Paul yet. Paul's work had just started. So it doesn't make any possible sense that it'd be uh, an apostle as capital A apostle like we see. So that's, that's a common question that comes up with this, uh, where it uses the word apostle with Barnabas here. So I want to explain that to you. I know you, most of your uh, community groups have, uh, have uh, taken a break, 
and they're going to start up here in a couple, three weeks, and so you're not going to get a chance to talk about that maybe with your community group. So I wanted to explain that to you here uh, so that we could all understand that. So what happens next? The whole city is divided now. What happens? Well, upon death threats, the disciples finally leave. Look in verses 5 and 6. It says, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. Now listen, folks, there's no shame in saving one's life if it's possible and if it's within God's will. What we see here is that when their lives are in danger, they'll move on to another city. I would say to you, the shame doesn't come in leaving. The shame might come in what they do next. If they tuck tail and run and go back to Antioch and hide, these men are cowards. These men are cowards. But we're going to see here in a minute that's not what they did. That's not what they did at all. So I want you to make sure that you understand that, that in fact, when you see, uh, if you've been here the whole time through Acts, most of the time what's happened in the past is uh, the disciples aren't even interested in saving their own lives. It's their followers who get wind of the, of the scheme, and they say, well, we can't lose Peter. Well, we can't lose Paul. We can't lose these guys. We've got to move them. Let's get them out of here. That's what usually happens. So there's no shame or disgrace in saving one's life. The question is, what do they do next? the disciples continue to preach the gospel. See, my contention would be they leave town to save their lives, but guess what they do? They keep right on doing what they're doing. They keep right on doing it. They're still at risk. Their lives are still on the line. Look what it says in verse 7. And there, in Derby and Lystra, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They're going to deal with the same stuff. They're not running away being cowards. They're simply saying, in a sense, you know, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. They're basically saying, look, if I can save my life by just moving to another place, let's go. And they do it, and they continue to preach the gospel. They don't stop. They don't even slow down. They keep preaching the gospel continuously. This is the entire history of the church at Iconium, except we'll see next week as the apostles come back uh, through there, as the disciples come back through there, uh, some things happen very briefly. Uh, they'll come back actually for a specific purpose. But I want us to see this passage and these seven verses, this whole church history of Iconium. And, and I want us to t- look at three application takeaways we can come from this with. The first one is this. Don't prejudice the sharing of the gospel from any group. Now, look, most of us in this room would say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not prejudiced. I've progressed way past that. You know, I treat people of, the, of a different skin color the same. I, I treat people of, uh, of, of a different uh, economical status the same. That's probably true, I hope. But I would, I would gamble to say that probably most of us still have some prejudice that keeps us from sharing the gospel. For instance, perhaps when you find out that someone is a Muslim, 
you say, well, take them off the board. I'm not going to share the gospel with them. They've already chosen a way. Oh, oh somebody's a, a Jehovah's Witness. Well, they've already chosen their way. I'm, I'm not, I don't need to share the gospel with them. Uh, uh, there may be, uh, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I, let me just be transparent with you for a minute. I have a prejudice that I struggle with, and I have struggled with it for years. And that's when I begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, and they say to me, Michael, uh, listen, I think you're an idiot for believing that. I think that's ridiculous. Even if I'm going to hell, I don't care. That's where I'm going. I'm done. I don't want to talk about this ever again. I immediately shut down. And, and to keep from having a face-to-face conflict with them, I, I probably don't share the gospel with them. Now, I'm getting better at that, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work at making those people my friends and building a relationship with them and getting another uh, opportunity to share the gospel with them. But I can have a prejudice with people that I think have already tuned me out that st- stops me or keeps me from sharing the gospel with them. You might have, you know, and listen, all of us have experiences that prejudice our thinking. If every time uh, you go out of your house, uh, a, a very nice-looking bald man next door beats you up, guess what? You're going you're gonna to develop a prejudice against a tall, nice-looking bald man. By the way, we have a few of them in this room, but they're okay. okay? Uh, listen, <laughs> whatever your experience is, don't let those things don't let those things teach you to think that well, I'm just going to write them off. Okay? The disciples went to the people that had been persecuting them first and still shared the gospel with them. I think it's a good lesson for us. Think about that as you think about who you share the gospel with and, and who you have barriers with. Second thing I want you to take away from today is discipling and being discipled takes a long time commitment. Again, I think one of the reasons, you know, and, and, and we need to look at what the, uh, God's Word says, but we also need to look and see what it doesn't say. Whenever the Bible talks about discipleship, it never gives a time frame. You ever think about that? They were discipled for a year. They were discipled for six months. They were discipled for 32 lessons. It never says those things. Why? Because there isn't an end. Because it's not the same for everybody. It's the act of growing in our followership of Jesus Christ. Now, we may use lessons and curriculum to give us some, uh, you know, kind of backbone to the whole process. But being discipled and discipling others is a life-on-life situation. Yeah, there might be some lessons to to talk about certain things and, and talk about certain topics, but it's about doing life together. It's about growing from being around one another. And my contention to you would be that every one of us in this room should have one or two people that we are investing in, somebody who's not as far down the journey as you are, and we should have at least one or two people that we are being discipled by, people that are farther down the road than we are. Because we're all trying to help each other on this journey. And so if you can't think of anybody in your mind, I want, I want you to, to th- kind of think about that. Listen, I am a much, 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 much better disciple than I was when I was 12 years old and I received Christ. I've gone through 40 years of experiences and people investing in me and and reading and studying and and meditating on God's Word and praying. and, And I'm a much better disciple now than I was. But there's still a long way to go. If God gives me another 40 years, I hope I I grow as much in the next 40 years as I did the last 40. 
But I want us to think about it taking a long time, folks, because it doesn't happen in six months. It doesn't happen in three lessons or 12 lessons or 24 lessons. It may happen a little bit. It may, we may move on the journey. But the reality is, if our goal is Jesus Christ, we'll never be fully and completely discipled because we'll never be perfectly like him. So it took a long time for them. It's going to take a long time for us. Last thing I want you to think about today before we leave is this. Don't let others poison our minds toward the gospel or God's appointed leaders. And I don't mean to give your, your, your church leaders a, a free pass. If we start preaching, you know, if I start preaching some crazy heresy, if I start preaching something that's totally, completely unscriptural against the Bible, you need to run me out of here on a rail. Okay? Uh, I'm not talking about if there's some horrible and terrible uh, ethical failure on our part or whatever. All I'm saying is this. We don't even know if these Gentiles really hated the disciples. But the Jews who hated them stirred them up and got them going. Now, I am old enough to have been around some church battles, uh, some, some, some accidental church planting, which was really a split. <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, listen, listen, our church experiences a really godly and tremendous amount of church unity. That doesn't mean that you don't get an opinion. That doesn't mean that we don't share our thoughts. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, what it means is that at the end of the day, we don't let outside sources and we don't let outside people and we don't let people who want to hurt the kingdom come in and stir us up to get us warring with one another. And so I want to encourage us to always be on the lookout for that. And by the way, some of that comes from knowing yourself. You know what I mean? Knowing who you should spend time with. I've shared this before, but our three children were very different. You know, uh, we we had two children that that kind of made their own decisions. They were very kind of independent, one more than the other. We could trust him to, to go to a party where we didn't know the parents. Because we knew at 14 or 15 or 16, he was going to make the right decisions. He had some personal convictions about what he was going to do and what he was going to be and how he was going to act. And we could trust him to follow those. And when he was challenged not to, we knew he would separate himself or call us or do whatever he had to do to do that. Totally and completely trusted him. That's part of his personality. Didn't mean he was a better kid. He was just, that's just who he was. We had another child, though, that, that was going to go anywhere anytime, any place, just to be the life of the party. And she would do almost anything to be that. So it would be very careful about who she spent time with, where she went, who, if the parents were going to be, all those kind of, had to watch that because she would be drawn in and she would be, so the point of that is this, guys. We're all different. Our personalities are different. We need to know ourselves and know the, the, the sources out there that can influence us. When we can go and be a better influence on the culture or, or, or people who are far from God than they are on us, we need to go and spend time with them. We need to influence them. We need to, to share the gospel with them. But if we're the kind of person that goes and like, man, I just get sucked into that all the time. I, I really get taken in by people that want to stir things up. Then you've got to learn to separate yourself from those kind of folks. Not let them do that to you. At the end of the day, folks, those, those are the folks that stay back and they, they stir things up and then they watch you fight with somebody else and they kind of get a kick out of it. They stand back and watch you become a victim of a damaged relationship and somehow they like it. 
My point is, we see that happening here in the church at Iconium very early on. And we just always need to watch out for it and make sure it doesn't happen at Fellowship of Grace. Doesn't mean the leaders are always right. Doesn't mean we always make right decisions. Doesn't mean uh, you're going to agree with everything. All it means is we're careful not to let outsiders especially stir us up against one another. Now I hope as we look at these historical events and these early church histories, uh, you don't just say, wow, it's some dusty history. That was a, a nice half hour here at church. But I hope you really look at it and go, man, there's some good principles here. There's some really good things here to, to look at and learn from and grow from. I want to encourage you today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, don't leave this building today without making that decision. Don't leave today without putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And it's simply by faith Simply by faith saying, I believe I'm a sinner. I don't believe I can do anything to make that right with God. There's not a giant scale in the sky. I can't do enough good to outdo my bad because the bad's still there. So as a sinner, I can't do anything to save myself. But Jesus took on my sin on the cross. He died for those sins. He paid for them. And all I have to do is reach out and accept the gift that he's offering and give my life to him by faith, trusting in him, All I have to do is do... And and you make that decision, folks. The Bible says you're born into the family of God. You've been born physically. You can be born spiritually and have a new start to life. But I also want everybody in this room to think about this. Am I growing? Am I being a disciple? Am I discipling others? If you're not on the discipleship, discipleship track by helping others come along... listen. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a week. Guess what? You've got some friends that aren't Christians yet. You can disciple them. You can, you're farther down the road than they are. And you can encourage them. I want to encourage everybody to get on the discipleship track, to invest in others that are not as far along in their journey as you are, and to find some who are farther down the journey and, invest, and let them invest their lives in you. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to grow until the last day when we take our last breath. And so be a disciple and make disciples, as God's word says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us and teaches us and gives us these principles to live by. Father, we thank you for uh, just the way that you love us so much that you would communicate these things to us. Father, help us. Help us to just uh, be on that discipleship track where we invest in others and we are invested and we we intentionally and purposefully make ourselves available to learn from others and grow from spending time with them. God, thank you for never giving up on us, for never getting tired of our failures, but for always forgiving us, for always giving us another chance and allowing us to be part of your family by faith. Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would just keep this thought in our minds that we need to disciple others and be discipled. Father, help our church. We want to make your name famous here in Parkville and around the world. God, help our church to do that. Help us to stay unified. Help us to stay uh, on the same page. We know that spiritual unity doesn't mean that we always agree with everything but it means that we stay unified and we don't let Satan or other sources outside of this church stir us up against one another. God, protect us from that. Help us to really be able to spend our time focusing on the important things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.